Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and this week I am very happy to be joined by Devin Rue. She is an artist and has been creating a lot of wonderful content that she's been putting out there. And I'm really excited to be talking with her today on the last episode of 2017. So it's an exciting time, end of the year for, for everyone. Uh, Devin, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I'm really excited to to meet you. This is the first time we're chatting. Yes. And I believe it was within the last year or so that I first came across your work online with the wood-burning art that just kind of blew my mind, and I just reached out and just said, this is amazing, and had shared it with folks. You've had, just from looking at information that's available on your site, kind of an interesting road to your current creative efforts where you were in the corporate world for a little while and then have kind of taken a little bit of a path to end up doing some of the art you're doing now. Correct. What's the Cliff Notes version of that? (laughs) Oh, oh, dear Lord. (laughs) Let's see. It, so how do you sum up 20 years? No, I actually, uh, I was somebody, I was introduced to uh, D&D at 14 and had a really passionate uh, uh, DM because they were old. They were uh, my friend's parents. Okay. And um, they got me really interested into playing D&D. And then that got me interested in creating the maps, which is a whole other really rather funny story. Uh, but that got me interested in earth sciences, and then I went into uh, landscape design and architecture, and that got me actually started into art. Okay. And for years, uh, I was doing traditional art and painting and gallery showings and, you know, doing the usual, like you have a, you know, a day job and then trying to make a living at doing art in the uh, on the weekends or whenever you have five minutes. And then I was introduced to wood burning in 2011. And instantly fell in love with it. Just really, really enjoyed doing it. And was like, oh, this is just, this is like the best thing in the world. Because I get to make tavern signs. And that's the first thing I saw. I think it was the barfing, what was it? Barfing hobgoblin or something that you... Barfing bugbear. Bugbear, yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll link to that again on Twitter. But that's like the first thing I think I saw of yours. And I immediately was thinking, I need one of these in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think of a creative design with my little blog and podcast mascot. But so now what's the tech, what's the official term for the wood burning art? It's pyography. Pyography. Okay. Yes. Think of like pyro. Yes. Yeah. So how did, how did you first like have access to that? Or did you know someone who was doing it? Like, how did you get that door opened up for you? I actually, because I had come from a traditional painting career and everything else, I really disliked how very out of touch they all are. Like somebody buys a painting and then you never hear from them again. And there's not really a community to it. And it's very cutthroat. So I had said to my wife that I was just really frustrated, wanted to find something that I could do that was a little bit more personal. Mm-hmm. That was a lot easier to to create and, you know, instead of shipping out these huge paintings and everything else uh, and something I could kind of build a community around because I kind of miss that. And she said, <laughs> she goes, did you ever have you ever tried wood burning? And I was like, no, why would I <laughs> You know, like because I, I, you know, I'm like most people. I thought it was 
you know, you burn a sign for your, your bathroom or something, you know, or you make a sign with your family name on it. Sure. Yeah, I had no idea that it was, you know, like the art form that it could be. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I, I have, you know, like a, she had the, so there's two versions of, um, pyography tools and there's the American version, which is essentially like a soldering iron with different tips on it. And then there's the European style, which is more like a pen. Uh, and she had the American version and she's like, here, you know, you could, give it a try and see if you like it. And I absolutely loved it. And she was like, wow, that's for somebody who's just picked it up. That's pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it. I, as much, I, I was going to Home Depot picking up scrap wood. I was like anything I could so I could practice burning on it and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. What skills transfer over from some of the other modes of art that you've done in the past? Um, well, mostly it's just illustration. Okay. The hardest part is, so I'm a visually impaired person. I saw that you've, you've kind of mentioned that a little bit on your, your page, and you're pretty open about that. And how does that yep. affect your work? Um, I don't see in three dimension. So uh, I live in a very two-dimensional world, which uh, essentially means that everything is pretty flat to me. I mean, not completely. I do see a little bit of depth, but not enough to, like, not like how everyone else sees it, unfortunately. Um, so trying to put that into the reason I was a painter was because when you paint, um, the way a brush works, you can actually give it depth almost instantly with a single stroke. And I couldn't do that with a pencil. I didn't know how. And when you're visually impaired, teachers don't know how to explain things to you. They don't know how to teach you to see or to create something that you can't see, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So pyography did exactly what the paintbrush did for me, which was to create a very flat, crisp edge and then a faded background behind it. So it almost gave everything an instant bit of depth to it that for the first time I could kind of understand and put together. And it actually made a huge impact on my ability to illustrate beyond what I could before. So illustration is probably the biggest, the biggest need that you have for pyography. And in terms of the visual impairment, is this something that was a, a lifelong thing or something that developed over time? Oh, no. I was born this way. So okay. I've never seen three-dimension. Uh, I love when people tell me that my maps are, are three-dimensional. I'm like, great. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but sure. <laughs> so I have no idea what I'm missing. So it's not like, you know, I'm not like, oh, man, if only I could see in three-dimension. Because to me, it's it's the same well, I think that's what rather startling to to hear because I think your maps that we'll certainly talk about in more detail are very vibrant and seem to jump off the page. And hearing that you're not really able to experience that outcome from your own work is, is really interesting. Well, I get I see things differently, obviously, sure. than you guys do because, I mean, I'm making these worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I one of the things that I, I always think is funny is someone's like, oh, well, you know, do you, do you think that because you are visually impaired that this made you more artistic? I'm like, no, it's my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly certain my imagination did this. Otherwise, everything I would draw would be really flat looking, I'm assuming, because well, that's you, what it was before. You know? Yeah. And you said that you started playing 
games like D&D at, at age 14, and you mentioned that that's around the time or soon thereafter that you got interested in maps and kind of hinted at that that was a funny story. But so how did that happen? Where, like, how did you become a cartographer in training? So, you know, back when I first started playing D&D, when you're a bunch of, you know, teenagers and a bunch of murder hobos, you spend like five minutes playing and 10 minutes arguing over those five minutes. And so this particular argument that actually started this whole thing, and the only reason I can remember this is the DM that we had at the time was one of the first DMs that I had that was around my age. Mm-hmm. And he just kept joining in the argument, and he really shouldn't have. Okay. So uh, the argument was like where we were, where we were trying to go, and where we had started. Like we were like, no, 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 we had gone this direction, we went there. And so I took, I I was like, no, I took a a map, took my notes out, everything else, and I drew where we went. It was a really bad map, but it explained it, and we're like, oh, okay. And it kind of settled that argument, and then we went back to playing. And so I was kind of filling in the map. As we were continuing playing, well, it wasn't my turn because doodling. Sure. And the DM leans over and he's like, hey, that's a, that's a, can I use that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, not thinking anything of it. Uh, and then I went to school because, you know, and I had a very enthusiastic earth science teacher. <laughs> okay. Yeah, one of those teachers, like, you know, he brings in his pets, he brings in, like, exploding uh, projects, like, he's just a really enthusiastic teacher, and I asked him, you know, questions about, you know, like, um, because I was arguing over parts of the fantasy map that we were working on, and I was asking him a ton of questions, and he asked me why, and I said, well, I play D&D, and we're trying to figure out, like, how our world works, and he, like, gave me volumes of books, and... (laughs) Just way too happy to like, oh, I can answer that question. And um, and then gave me uh, a book on illustration for landscape and, and uh, landscape design. I was like, oh, this is really neat. And that was that was the beginning of it. Little who knew that for 20 years while playing D&D with my endless groups that I've been in and making maps and I've made them as gifts for DMs. Nobody ever went like, hey, you know, you should sell these. Right. Nobody until 2011 came and Skyrim came out mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I love the map that it came with, but it doesn't look like something that would be in game. So I redrew it and I was like, oh, this is so cool, blah, blah. And I posted it online and I got the most amazing reaction. I was like, really? Oh, oh. All right. Yeah. And then someone else is like, can you make a map of this? Can you make a map of that? And then I had somebody ask me to make, because uh, I started doing pyography with it, like on huge pieces of, of leather, because you can burn um, leather. Okay. And it, which is a really, really difficult and unforgiving technique, but it looks beautiful when it's done. <laughs> it doesn't sound like there's much margin for error when you're burn, oh, burning into leather. Yeah, there's none. <laughs> Absolutely none. Uh, and I had someone ask me if I would make a gift for Ed Greenwood, who uh, is the creator of Faerun, and they wanted a map. And I was like, <gasps> No pressure. Right? Oh, yeah, no. no. No pressure. I might have run around, made really funky noises for like an hour or so, because, you know, Ed Greenwood. And this was the world that I first started playing in. 
So mind blown. And I made the map, and then that was it. And everyone's like, oh, can you make me a map? Can you make me a map? And then it just progressed till it is now. Yeah, and so now you have uh, a, you know, a website up, and you, know, you have live streams. And how did, that, how did that develop? Did that come about rather quickly, or was it a gradual process? Um, it came about really quickly. So about two years ago, I, uh, unfortunately, I had some problems with – I got a bone infection. Mm. And I had to go in and get several procedures done, and they're like, "You can't, you can't um, raise your blood pressure. You can't do anything like that." And I was like, oh, "Do you know how fidgety I am? You know, I'm like that's impossible for me not to move." And I couldn't wear my mask either, so I couldn't do any pyography. Mm. And I'm like, uh, "How am I supposed to work?" You know, right. And um, so I was like, well, I, I guess I, you know, maybe I should just like go back and, and do illustration again and just like play with that for, uh, you know, a year or so and and bring it into my maps. And so I did. And then that exploded on me, which kind of scared the crap out of me, too, because How so? I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> OK. Um, I'm. I was not prepared for the amount of feels that I would get from the RPG community, mm. especially considering I'm one of those kids that at 14 years old, I would do anything but go home. You know, I had a really not so happy home life, you know, right. and Dean D gave me the ability to be socially interactive in a way that I couldn't any other way. Okay. Um, and I played it for years and years, and I obsessed over it, and um, and and even obsessed into other forms of gaming because I'm a huge uh, Elder Scrolls fan. And I, I've lost jobs and relationships, unfortunately, due to my gaming obsessions. And uh, but I never thought to like, like I said, never thought to to sell maps or to even solicit in any way the RPG community because I didn't think that. That's what I was doing. Right. To monetize this hobby or interest that you had, these skills. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, like I said, I've been selling artwork since I was 17, but I never thought, like, on this level. And then to do something as awesome as I get to, not only do I get to make just maps, I get to sit here and draw and illustrate and make maps all day long, Um but I get to be involved in other people's campaigns. They tell me every little nuance of their games and what's going on in the world and what they're creating and the gods that are there and the races and everything else. And like that enthusiasm is contagious. And just to have the, I mean, the overwhelming response last year in November was the first time I was like, okay, I'm going to make a really scary leap and I'm going to start offering my artwork for free and let's hope this all goes well. <laughs> and it did. And yeah. within like a month or so, I had somebody like, hey, you know, I noticed that you do paints or whatever and you have Copic markers on your Amazon wish list. Can I get you them? And I was like, well, that's why they're there. You know? Mm -hmm. And... They got me markers, and that started me down the path that I am now with all the color and everything else because mm -hmm. it's ink, and it goes right along with the painting that I used to do for 20 years. Now I get to do it on maps, and uh, it's just astronomical. Like the, the past year has been amazing. 
And you had mentioned a few moments ago this idea of when things started to, to blow up for you, not being ready for all the, the feels yeah. <laughs> from, from folks. And how has it been to adapt to that? I think for the first time, you know, when when a lot of us started playing D&D and everything else and we got enthusiastic about it, um, there's quite a few of us that really didn't want to, we didn't fit in entirely anywhere. It's not like, you know, not to say like all of us were these huge outcasts or anything like that, but mm-hmm. like I was one of those kids, like I had friends in every group, you know, in social groups and stuff and in school, but I wasn't really belonging to any of them. Even amongst, you know, geeks and nerds, I just didn't quite fit in. And, uh, but I did in my D&D groups, you know, and we always had a blast. And when the RPG community was like, oh my God, you got to, I mean, they, I didn't get to promote my stuff. They promoted it for me. I, I mean, they're the ones that tagged me with like Geek and Sundry or, or Chris Perkins or Matt Mercer and Will Wheaton of all people, you know, shared something of mine and I almost had a heart attack because, you know. <laughs> Mostly because I woke up and my phone was dead. And I was like, what happened? My phone. <laughs> buzzing from all the notifications that you're getting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He uh, shared a video of my Steps of Augardine map mm-hmm. um, where, you know, it scrolls across it in the black and white. And that, that was just insane to, to wake up to all of those. But just to get so many people like, oh, my God, you know, like... <sighs> I don't want to out anyone, so I'm not going to say any names, but I have had people cry over the maps that I've given them. You know, like you've, you've created my world. You brought it to life. Mm -hmm. You gave it, you know, this is a game that we have been playing for the past five years. And for the first time we have, it's a world, it's real, it's tangible now, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that's always just like, oh, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, it sounds overwhelming. You used that that word earlier, and that's what it certainly sounds like. Yeah, especially from you know, like I said, is is to now to now be in my forties and have some place where it's like I could not fit in any better with a group of people than I do in the RPG community. Um, And for once, my my not so great social skills aren't noticed. You know, that plays into something that, you know, I've, I've had a few guests on who have talked about role-playing games, uh, D&D, as a kind of a, as a means of, of teaching social skills or, or, or building, actually using it purposely for, for that, for yes. that uh, outcome, which I think is really fascinating. And something you talked about, this idea of not really feeling like you fit in, but fit in with the folks who, who played Dungeons and Dragons. And I wonder, why do you think that was like, what was it about that world, that hobby that was more comfortable for you? Um, I think because once you can get past, once you can get past the initial, like, you know, you meet a group of people and you're all giggling and being stupid and, and like, you know, you're all shy. Once you actually start playing um, and you get into your characters and what you're doing, you do, you form a hell of a bond, even if it's just for that particular campaign. Like, I always make a joke, but I, I've DM'd a couple of groups, and one of the things that really cracked me up was I used to have a player who, um, anytime that he, like, came to our table, well, 
I should rephrase that. Anytime he came to anything aside from our table, nobody particularly cared for him. He didn't have a he didn't have a very warm personality. Mm-hmm. But but at the table when he was his character, he wasn't so abrasive, you know. Okay. And, and you know, he comes up to me one day and he's like, um, he's like, you know. I know the other guys don't really like me. He's like, I don't know why you keep inviting me to the table. I was like, because you're a great barbarian. <laughs> I, I have to admit it. You you make a fantastic barbarian. Unfortunately, you're kind of barbaric when you're not playing your character. So it's kind of out of source at that point, you know. And um, I think that the, the table teaches us, like, how to interact with each other on a level that we can't in in regular society. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, like it, when you're playing the game and you like you meet somebody, you can be you can be sarcastic and you're still going to end up adventuring with them because they're you know, we know that you're there at the table to become part of our party. So you can be sarcastic. You can be overly flirtatious. You could be ridiculously funny. You could be completely quiet for that matter. And you still know that somehow, some way you're going to end up being in the same party and adventuring together. Whereas when you do that in reality, you walk up to somebody, you just sit down and you're not going to say any words to them. They're going to think you're an idiot and they're going to get up and walk away. There's some consequences for that yeah. kind of behavior in the quote unquote real world. Yes. So and you can and, you know, you can kind of play it out and and um, explore, explore personality types that you can't normally, you know, like in your day to day, you don't get to like go up and act like, you know, Indiana Jones one day and then come into work the next day and decide that you're, um, I'm like trying to think of another adventurous type like that, James Bond. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's going to be like, what is your problem? You know, do you have multiple personality syndrome or something? What were some you of know, the early roles that you tried on? Um, oh, probably a rogue the most. <laughs> I always wanted to escape from things. So mm. it seemed fitting. So I probably played, well, I joke that the pl- the role I've played the most is an NPC, but. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, uh, but that's because I had an awesome DM and a really bad work schedule at one point. Um, but no, I probably played rogues most. Um, when I very, very first started, I think my first character was. Oh, God, I want to say that, that she was a mage. And I played her horribly. I mean, I really was a murder hobo because I'm 14. I think that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Tri- trial and error, you know. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mostly played spellcasters, I think, in the beginning because I was terrified to play a fighter. So. And so this idea of, you, you know, you kind of touched on briefly just not having the best home environment and even playing characters who wanting to escape and now – being older and having this community welcome you with open arms and say, yes, you're one of us. We like love the stuff that you're doing. How much of you wants to escape from that or is it feeling more comfortable? The only thing that I ever want to escape from regarding that is like at the end of the day, uh, because now, which is kind of scary. uh, Now I get hundreds of, um, notifications every day throughout my social media of people making some point of contact. 
mm-hmm. um, that even while I'm I'm working, like a perfect example, just to do this, I have to shut everything else down or else you'll be hearing a tons of pings. <laughs> um, so I just turn everything else off. Um, and I think that that's the only thing. Like now I really love it. I used to hate how much attention I got when I was a traditional artist. I used to hate actually going to my own gallery showings. And now I'm like, no, no, no. What do you want? You want to talk about your game? Let's talk about your game. You want to talk about it up? Let's talk about it up. You want to talk, you know, like I'm perfectly fine with that because it's, it doesn't feel like, I don't feel like I'm selling anything to anyone. I don't feel like I'm like, I have a bunch of people standing there with their hand out, which is something that I really disliked about traditional art. I felt like everyone was trying to make money off of my talent. Um, that isn't the case now. So now it's just like, it's like I have a ton of friends online that message me every day. <laughs> so, but at the end of the the end of the day, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of kind of tired. So I turn it all off early and go watch a movie, read a book, or play a game offline, and just you know enjoy some solace in my day. It sounds like there's really a need to unplug from time to yes. time. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> And how often now do you get to get to play D and D and do those things that you enjoy? Well, right now I I actually don't play, and uh, I thought I would miss it because I haven't been able to play um, essentially since I got sick. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, you know. And then when I started doing the maps and everything, I was like, oh, I'm gonna really miss the game. Now I feel like I'm involved in so many people's games right now that I don't miss it nearly as much as I thought I would. You know, I mean, I know what's going on in so many people's worlds right now. And uh, I really love what I do. So I don't even want to stop long enough to play a game lately. (laughs) So you get to live vicariously through all these other worlds and characters that people are telling you about. Oh, yeah. And they make characters based on me, which is amazing. Really? Oh yeah, I've got I've got a, an NPC in like quite a few games now. I think I'm up to six games where I'm an, a permanent NPC in their campaign. Nice. Yeah. So, which is always so funny because they always send me like my character sheets. <laughs> so I'm gonna start making a collection. Maybe put them online. That would be a nice like kind of haul of your characters that are out there roaming around in the world. Yeah, ruse in the wild. There you go. That's a, that's a, that's a new page. There you go. There you go. So, touching on the maps, because I, I think that the maps that you do create are just kind of visually very impressive and stunning. How how did you gravitate to that specific style? Oh, see, that that's a question that I get asked often, and yeah. I don't actually know how to answer. Right. I think what I wanted to do was, because I do see in two-dimension, I pay I pay a ton of attention to um, shadows and color uh, gradients on objects to determine if something is flat or far away from me or whatever. It's how I kind of navigate. And although um, normal sighted people do the same thing, they don't consciously pay attention to it. And I kind of have to or I walk into everything. So to give you an idea, like I can't see depth essentially past four feet. Okay. So that's how short of a distance. So I always make the joke, like, I can't even tell how far away my feet are. So when I started... Go ahead. No, I was just saying, how does that limit mobility? Oh, well, I, you know, I I walk with a cane, and most of my friends know, so they all kind of, you know, help me out. Um, 
I, I, I've been this way since I was born. So you, you learn to like count steps to go, you know, from one part of your house to the other. You learn to, um, like I'll stop, like, you know, when me and my, any of my friends are out or my wife are out, um, I stop if I can't tell where I'm, you know, if there's a curb or if there's an edge or whatever, and then she knows to say something or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, things like that. Like you're, you just adapt. I mean, it's like any other visually impaired person. We, we learned all sorts of wonderful little tricks to navigate the the regular world. (laughs) Yeah. And just the empathy from my end, I, I was born with heart conditions. So like I would growing up had friends and like exercise, I would have to like limit what I did. And like, I've never run really in my life. <laughs> right. Like I can't even fathom what that's like. People who go and like run for miles for fun. It like doesn't even make sense to me. Right. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, certainly very different, but just, you don't know any other way. And right. you just, you just roll with it. Cause like, what other options do you have? Exactly. I mean, the world is, is built. I mean, obviously we are the men in the minority, so, you know, it, it totally makes sense. You know, the world is built for normal sighted people and that's fine. Um, but it gets very frustrating when, like, for example, as I tell everyone, you know, when I was in school and I took geometry, uh, I almost failed my math class because my teacher kept talking about, you know, all these geometric shapes and everything else. And I, I didn't understand what the hell she was talking about. Mm. Because I've never seen a cube. I don't know what a cube is. I mean, like I know what the word is, but I didn't realize this was a 3D object. So when the, you ask a child who can't see three dimension how many sides there are in something, it's like, well, <laughs> I can only see three, so three. Right. You know, and and she got so frustrated with me with me because she didn't understand how to communicate. And I had another uh, math teacher. They were actually talking about switching me out of the class because she felt I was very disruptive because I kept asking questions I couldn't understand. Uh, I had another math teacher come in with a bunch of uh, toddler toys and go, this is a cube. This is a sphere. You know, like this is a trapezoid. I was like, oh, mind mind blown. (laughs) Yeah. Like this is an object is what you're trying to explain. And after that, you know, I went back to my normal, you know, pretty good grades. And but it's so funny because these are minor things that a normal sighted person just never thinks of. And I asked her, I was like, what on earth made you think to do this? You know, and she's like, oh, you know, I have a niece who's visually impaired and she has the same issue. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, fine. (laughs) You know, But there's so much like that where there's little things that would make life so much easier for somebody like me if if teachers were taught like, hey, you know, this doesn't mean a student is trying to be disruptive, you know, um, or if they if they are taught even just a little bit of what it's like to be a visually impaired or an audio impaired individual, life would be so much different for us as far as schools go. And it, it would also teach us how to interact better with people that don't have the same impairments that we do. Cause that's actually what sort of made me uh, stand out so much from my schoolmates was I, I can't go running, you know, like you, I can't go running. I can't see anything to go running. Mm-hmm. 
And my teachers, you know, my gym teachers don't understand. And they, you know, you have to go run or you fail the class. I, well, I go run because I don't want to fail the class. And I would inevitably fall because I can't see it unless I'm on a track and then it's flat. You know, um, we would play sports. I can't see anything. You know, there's no depth to me. I get hit in the face with a ball, (laughs) you know. So there were so many things that were just incredibly awkward for me that everyone else thought I was just like this really clumsy, you know, doofy kid. And I'm like, no, you know, and now uh, as an adult, I wish that I could have have learned how to explain it better. But I didn't even know the terminology because I didn't realize I, I the word visual impairment wasn't used. Like I, I knew I saw differently, mm-hmm. but I didn't think of it as a form of blindness. And um, so I wasn't taught the right words. I wasn't taught how to explain it to other people uh, until I got older. And I was actually, you know, there's a whole culture out there for people that are visually impaired or, um, or, or audio impaired that, a normal hearing or sighted person has no idea existed. And if they did, if they met anyone that was like me as a kid, we'd be like, oh, no, you should totally go and and be a part of this. And you'll you'll discover, like, how to communicate with other people. Like, now I know to say, like, no, I'm visually impaired and I, I see in two dimension. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, um, it's flat. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Right. <laughs> you know, so... And it sounds like that, like you said, it just is kind of you naturally, because what other choice do you have, kind of bring that to the art that you create, including the cartography. Right. What I wanted to do was I knew that I saw differently than other people. um, And I wanted to create, I wanted to create something that had enough depth to me. And the only way to do that was to kind of make overlaying features so the trees had to come up to and over. So essentially what I did was I took a bunch of um, landscape photography that I found online. Mm-hmm. And I tried to figure out how uh, essentially how you guys see it. I guess it's the best way of putting it. Um, and I realized that everything looked easier for me to understand in a three quarter view. So instead of it being like an overhead view, like most maps are, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this makes the most sense to me. And I can actually like show distance that way. And that's how my maps first started was I was like, OK, I want to, you know, create something that actually has depth to it. Because if I drew maps the way I do, they're just going to be an overhead view and they kind of would blend in with what everyone else does. And I'm still ultimately an artist, mm-hmm. you know, as as functional as they sometimes are. I still am essentially just drawing landscapes. And it has the maps have this, I don't know if this is the right word, but like this isometric quality where kind of like some video games I've played, like it has this, like you're pulled out a little bit and fate like off to an angle. So you're right. That's you're, you're looking, of you. yeah, you're looking down, but not straight down. Correct. And so the, the maps that you draw have a lot of not only detail, but just sense of, depth and scale and it's it's certainly i'll definitely post pictures and if folks who are listening haven't seen your work yet go check it out now (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that's interesting that's how you kind of started and decided you needed to come at it at an angle yeah 
And I, I think a lot of it comes from, like I said, I knew, I know that I see differently. I just can't figure out how, because obviously if I've never seen like a normal sighted person, I don't know the difference. Um, but I really don't like a lot of top view maps or even when I play like video games, I hate the God view. Mm -hmm. Oh, that drives me insane. And a lot of it is because as a visually impaired person, I still have the same problem. I can't see depth. I don't know that I'm supposed to be going around a corner. I can't tell that there's anything there. I will always go into first person or if I, you know, if there's no trace and I go over the shoulder and even that I don't like because there are certain things you can't see at all, especially when everything is the same color. Uh, when it's all drab and, yeah, blends. Yeah. Out. And then I'm like, you know, there's like, I, I watch, oh, what was one? Um, Wolfenstein. I'm like, everything in there is gray. Sure. <laughs> like, Good luck. Yeah. No, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get down a hallway in that game. I was like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I got killed. I kept getting killed. I didn't know this. I was walking out in the middle of a field because I thought I was still in the hallway. <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't go well. <laughs> so you said after you got those um, markers from somebody, you started adding color to the maps? Yeah. So when I first, very, very first started painting, I had somebody uh, introduce me to Japanese inks. Okay. Which I love. They're very um, smooth flowing ink and I really enjoyed doing them. I used to do a lot of calligraphy and stuff and I had someone else like suggest the Copic markers and I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to color with markers, mm -hmm. you know, cause I'm like everyone else. Like I don't want like the streaky, it looks really horrible. Like I'm doing those black velvet color posters. <laughs> I'm like, you know, um, and then I had quite a few other artists, um, I actually watched a bunch of YouTube videos and one of which was somebody who took it from directly from um, paint pots and used paint brushes. Didn't even use the markers. They're like, Oh, you don't have to watching them paint with this ink. I was like, Oh, I at least have to try it. Sure. You know? And so I got the really basic, uh, I think there was like five colors in it called the earth pack. Uh, which is actually something I recommend anyone, you know, if you're going to try Copic markers and you want to do cartography, just get this pack and check it out. Um, but I did, and I instantly fell in love with it because it was a nice, it wasn't as thick as paint. Uh, it can go on as long as it's basically cardstock paper. You can use the inks on it. You can use them directly from the, the markers or like through a paintbrush, which I do often. Okay. Or switch between them depending on on what I need like all the water in, on my mats are pretty much done with um, uh, you can take the watercolor paint uh, paint pens I can speak um, so they have a regular brush tip but you can fill them up okay. so I fill them with the ink and a mixture of the ink and their um, clear solution so it kind of like waters it down and it creates a water effect because they're they're um, alcohol inks okay and it creates like a, a watercolor effect. And that's how I actually fill in a lot of the water in my maps. And what do you continue to discover new techniques as you're going Oh, every on? map. <laughs> every map. Every map's uh, a new learning experience. Oh, yeah. Like a perfect example is <laughs> right now I'm torturing myself by doing, I want to make a, a map of Teldori. So uh, from Critical Role. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I'm a huge fan, and I'm kind of making it for myself, but also as a gift to Matt Mercer, um, the DM, for those who don't know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what I do is usually I sketch out, um, you know, kind of like what I want the map to look like and everything else. And for the most part, a lot of maps, uh, unlike most people don't realize that the maps originally were very representational. They weren't actually meant to be. Uh, to scale or specific, they were actually meant to to show the power of whatever King had commissioned it at the time. They would exaggerate the size of a country um, or the size of a kingdom. They would um, be vague representations of nearby countries and stuff. So a marketing tool in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of them were propaganda, right? You know, yeah. like, oh yeah, no, no, no. Look how much we've grown since so and so became king or ruler or whatever. Um, and also because a lot of people weren't educated enough to know how to read a map, you know. So the only ones that were were trying to be accurate were the ones that we used for navigation, and even those depended on where you were on on the earth for star charts or, or even the map that you are using. And a perfect example is the map that we're most familiar with now of Earth is actually shrunken down and slightly misshaped mm-hmm. because our ocean is bigger than what we see on the map. And the, the like, for example, is the U.S. is somewhat tilted, but we don't show it like that because we're showing, you know, a round ball flattened out and, and everything else. So it actually kind of skews it. But when I start drawing maps... So sometimes I leave the the icons rather large and and just representational of an area. But being that Teldore is an entire continent, every size I did, I didn't like. So I pared it down to what I'm doing now, which will have a ridiculous amount of itty-bitty tiny trees on it. <laughs> Like, it's insane looking now, and it's not even remotely done. <laughs> I don't know what I've got myself into. And um, I've seen, like, the, the live streams and stuff of you, like, just how it looks tedious to me. But what is it like for you as the artist to do all those little trees? It is very zen. Okay. Uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm a very hyper person. I am always moving. I'm always doing something. Um, I actually only do, um, I only make maps like for certain hours every day because there's, I can't sit still for very long. So if you do come to my live streams, you hear some really nice, mellow, ambient sounds and music. (laughs) I, I do everything I can to make a very relaxed atmosphere. Okay. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't get a single map done. And it's not like that 24 hours a day, just all serene and calm and quiet? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even remotely. Like, everyone's like, oh, I'd love to be in the studio with you. No, no, you wouldn't. I am all over the place. I'm constantly moving. I I look like, uh, oh, there's a line from The Crow where he says, you know, maybe we should just record this guy and then play it back on slow motion. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm like up until pretty much up until like 15 minutes before I start a stream. And then it's like, OK, because there's no other way I can sit down and do this for endless hours a day. You're doing some breathing exercises, some meditation, trying to slow down. 
Yeah, I make tea. Like, I have, like, this whole routine now that kind of like, wow, this really does work to mellow you out. I make tea. I light the candle. I, you know, which uh, it really adds to it because of the sense of it. Like, you, you know, you kind of play like, um, you know, you, you set the atmosphere, mm-hmm. so to speak. And then I start the ambient sounds and I'm just like, oh, this actually works really well. You know, and then I like set up my mic because I unplug everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not a constant like, oh, hey, by the way, you need to stream, you know, because then you get anxious, mm-hmm. you know. So I like set everything up, take my time and blah, 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 which is probably why half the time when you if you're ever there at the beginning of the stream, I am always adjusting my camera because, <laughs> you know, I don't it doesn't save the settings and it drives me crazy. But that's fine. Right. Final preparations. <laughs> Yeah. So, but it's, it's, I, I actually really enjoy it. And the stream is great because I get so many people that come in and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just working right along with you. And even though I don't see or hear them, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like, oh, this is kind of neat. And so for folks who haven't, you know, watched your stream or just hearing about it for the first time, how can they find that? How often are you doing it? What, what are you usually doing on the stream? Um, well, so starting in January, well, first you can find me on Twitch. You can find me anywhere on the internet under Devin Rue. So I made everything my name to make it super easy. <laughs> um, I also have everything linked on my website, which is rueinc.com. And I'm on Twitch. I'm on right now. I'm definitely on every Monday, Friday, and Sunday. Okay. Um, I sometimes do spontaneous streams because I feel like mapping that day. But uh, coming next, yeah, uh, coming in January, so next month, um, Sundays are going to start being devoted to something called Rue Ventures, where I kind of want to, I get asked a ton of questions about how I got started, how to be successful as an artist or as a small business. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is that while I was being an artist for the past 20 years, I also was an efficiency manager. And uh, if for anyone who doesn't know what that is, essentially, you go in and evaluate a company from top to bottom, every single position, every single um, what they do, how they make it, where it goes from there, how they do shipping, like every aspect of running that company. And you try and figure out not only the best way to run the company, um, but also the best way to also like keep employees and keep everyone happy mm-hmm. and be productive and also to pull a profit. So I spent years of my life doing this and I was really kind of, I never thought I would get back into it until like the past couple of months. Uh, It's been insane how many people, especially like I said, with the whole thing with Patreon just kind of exploded. Mm -hmm. I've gotten so many people like, Oh, all right. So how do, how can I do this on my own? Or, you know, how on earth am I even going to get started? Or, you know, um, we had the same problem with Etsy not that long ago, a couple of years ago, where they, they decided to let in mass production on a site that's supposed to be specifically for all handmade. Mm-hmm. And so many people left for the same reasons, because it's like, well, then once again, we're, you know, we're a drop in a bucket, you know. Mm-hmm. So how are you supposed to survive? And you've done... Well, I mean, maybe you can explain it better, certainly, than I can, with the recent changes to Patreon, which I guess they've walked back, I think, in recent days. But yes. how have you, how has that affected your, I guess, business model or the way you're interacting with, like, customers and supporters? Right. For the most part, it actually didn't change nearly as much as I was terrified it would. Mm-hmm. 
so to sort of explain what happened is on Patreon, whenever you are supporting a creator, right now the creator is taking up all the fee expenses. So not only are we paying Patreon to do this service for us, but when we actually do get the money, we're also paying PayPal. So we're, we're essentially paying all the fees for everything. So Patreon went, well, oh, that's not very fair. Let's charge the patrons instead. Which, okay, I understand where they're coming from, but they really should have, like, asked us first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because although I had a ton of patrons that were like, oh, no, 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 I would gladly take the fees had I known. But they want the option. And I want the option because I, I really did feel like they overstepped their bounds where this is a relationship between me and my patrons. It should be my choice. Yeah, you know, sure. And so a lot of us felt that way. And uh, amazingly, Patreon listened, which we're so happy about. Um, I didn't lose as many because I don't do uh, per post. And any artist that did a per post, their patrons were being charged, like if they, you know, um, pledged for a dollar a post, they're being charged a dollar thirty seven per post, which, okay, that's not a big deal unless you're coming up to like five posts and then you're almost doubling your pledge every month. So they had to like scale back and adjust because it couldn't support as many creators at that point anymore. So that's actually what caused the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. So in response to that, uh, I had had something before and I literally just took it off my website because I didn't like how it worked and I wanted to automate it a little bit better okay. and also incorporate a way for um, my patrons from Patreon to actually log into my site and access the same rewards, I just took a membership uh, services off of my website. This whole thing happened. I was like, oh, well, I guess I add that right back, you know? <laughs> so I was scrambling to do that. And um, and then I, I had a lot of people ask me about it. And I put up a quick post like, here's how you can do it if you have a WordPress website, which is what I have. Yeah, and I've been happily been a, a patron for, I don't know when I started, but uh, – been happy to support you know in a small way the, the work that you're doing which i think is again just fantastic and i'm really excited that you agreed to come on the show here i'm really happy you invited me and just kind of in closing what is what does 2018 and beyond are there what things are you planning oh. that you can that you can share I guess, yeah at this point well you know what uh uh so I have an idea for um, that I'm working on now for a different type of map, uh, essentially something that um, I had someone suggest like, oh, you know, can you make a map like they used to have like on the um, Mad Magazine where you, you know, you would take it out of the magazine and you'd fold it together and it would form a picture. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I'll do that. But. I do have an idea to actually make puzzle maps along the same lines where you have to fold them together to actually find, you know, you'll see a different image or a different map, so to speak. Oh, that'd uh, be a really cool. Yeah. So I'm working on developing that, which is probably a lot harder than one would think. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but that's, that's, that's my favorite project right now. And it's probably the only one I can talk about until it actually, the other ones happen. I hate jinxing myself. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to see whatever it is that, that you come up with next. Um, it's been 
just kind of great seeing you become in some ways like a bigger part of the community and like like you said you're you get kind of your notifications blown up sometimes so i imagine if that map to to matt mercer gets uh gets uh if he like sends that out that'll be another night when your phone might die yeah well the first night he followed me I didn't realize this, but uh, the first night he followed me, I ended up with like a hundred new followers on Twitter just because he followed me. I can't imagine what's going to happen <laughs> with a map or anytime he comments on anything I, I post, mm-hmm. I get, I get a ridiculous amount of, ah. And does, so, it, does he know you're creating this map? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, I actually had messaged him just before I didn't realize that the uh, the campaign guide was coming out. He had talked about it. I hadn't realized how far he was into creating it. Mm-hmm. That by the time that I was like, oh, can I make the map? He was like, oh, I'm, I don't know. I've already signed up with uh, Green Ronin. Sure. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I missed my window, you know. So then I, I was like, well, I, you know, I was like, oh, do a map anyhow. I was like, no, I'm not going to. I, I want the guide to come out i want him to have his moment in the sun and and really like enjoy it i don't i also don't want to step on the other cartographer's toes the map that came with the guide is beautiful i absolutely love it Mm. so this isn't a replacement by any means this is just me wanting to do it this is technically this is me wanting to do it because i want a map that looks like something in game Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> more than anything else so but also doing it for yourself be, but it also yeah, be cool. yeah and then i was like oh you know obviously i want to send him the originals and and make him an actual prop map because that's uh, a lot of what i do so i i used to make tons and tons of props for all of my players where with maps and potion bottles and oh i i was i went a little nuts as a dm all the time yeah, I did that sort of stuff. I, I think my, I think I've even talked about it on this show before. But I had, not so much I, as a prop. I had this encounter where an NPC said, "I want you to toast this," and I put like glasses out in front of them with this like funky color liquid, and they all had yeah. to decide if they were going to drink it. And it was like for ten minutes, they were all debating, like, "What do we do? I don't know what's going on here." And it was just, <laughs> I just sat back and was smiling. And, those things are fun. It's it, yeah. it's fun when you can make things tangible at the table, and uh, you know your maps are wonderful. Thanks for um, Thank all your work and talents, and I, I hope everything continues to be not too overwhelming and uh, yeah. goes well for you. I hope so too, and I also hope the same for your uh, your interviews in 2018. I love that I'm the last one of the year. That makes me all happy. Yes, we're closing out the year on a high note, so uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see what 2018 has in store for both of us. Yeah. Well, thanks again, and you, uh, you take care. You too. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>